This is week 14 as we're traveling through this letter in the New Testament written by the kid brother of Jesus. His name was James. And James wrote to the early Christian community long, long time ago. So if you were to read this book at, at points, there would be times where it's, it's kind of disconnected. There's just a lot of information thrown at a page. Um, so what we, we thought it was like a, a series called Faith Works, uh, sort of a practical guide to walking with Jesus, a practical guide and bits of wisdom as you follow Jesus. And we come to chapter 5. Chapter 5 is the last chapter of this book. And um, I think next week we'll announce the next series that we're going to do. And in fact, that series will kick off on November 4th, when is the same time we're going to go to two services in this building every single Sunday. So look forward to more. Thank you, man. One person excited. Look forward to more information about hearing about that. You can invite your friends to those services so we can fill this place up. Well, I'm going to read from James chapter 5. I'm going to read the first six verses. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Last week, we were introduced to what I referred to, last week's message, was what I referred to as maybe the most important warning in the Christian life. It was the most important warning, and James writes this way throughout this letter. He's encouraging and warning and correcting the early Christians about all sorts of things in their life. That warning was to be careful, be careful as you walk through this life without seeking the direction and guidance from God. We talked about God's will, God's plan, God's desire for your life. This week, we come and, and we see the same sort of literary structure that we did last week. Last week was, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and make profit. And today we read, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's quite clear James has another warning for us this morning. The intensity of his message has increased now. His words cut a little deeper and his tone is seasoned with just a little more passion. So here's the big idea this morning, church. Here's the big idea for these six verses is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What we notice that in verses one through six is the result of a community who loves money. That's who he's speaking to. He's speaking to lovers of money and the result of loving that money. But really, there is no shortage in the Bible that talks about money. This is not the only verse. In fact, money or wealth or possessions is mentioned nearly 200 times throughout the Bible. 200 times. Jesus himself taught on money quite a bit. We cannot get away from this. He said, no one can serve two masters. This is Jesus. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's Jesus. He also said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven 
where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he ends with this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And then there's this verse, not Jesus, another person in the New Testament says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. There are so many warnings about falling into the trap of loving money in this life. And it may be the most, because, not may, I I would say, I would argue because money, wealth, possessions is the most powerful man-made God, lowercase g, that we have created in this life. We have created this God and we are tempted to worship this false, fake God. For some people, money is a God, lowercase g. It's not a real God, okay? There's a, you know, capital G, big God, lowercase g, fake God. It's a lowercase g because it's routinely worshipped and we routinely sacrifice at its altar. We are all, in fact, guilty of sacrificing family, relationships, and even our moral compass at the altar of getting more money in our lives. At times, money consumes all of our thoughts. It has the power to dictate our every move. If given too much authority in our lives, money will dictate the health of our relationships. It will determine what we do. It will determine how we act and treat others. It will determine who we associate with and on the negative side, who we don't associate with. It's easy to see why the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But notice, Jesus says in one of those verses that we just read, the love of money, okay? It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evils. And this is important because money in itself is not evil. Money cannot be evil. It's just a number in your bank account. It's a a number in your bank account. It's a piece of paper in your pocket. It's a pile of coins on your counter. Money in itself cannot be evil. We are evil. Mankind, you and I, we have used money for evil. We have the ones who have worshipped money. Men and women are the ones who have elevated the importance of wealth, possessions, and money over all other things. We have done that. We have loved money. We are the ones who have taken what God has given us for our good, and we have turned it into our God. So let me give you some examples. You might say, okay, Don, take it easy, right? Coming on a little strong. We just got here. Let me tell you how life looks if you love money. Let me give you a few examples, okay? Let's say you're a lover of money, and it matters a lot to you. If you don't have enough money, let's say you don't have as much as you think you need, you will live in shame. We will live in shame. And our only hope in this life is actually hoping people around us don't realize how little we have. We live in shame because we think the dollar amount reflected in our bank account is what gives us our significance and our purpose. If you love money, that's the way you'll live. Constant shame. Uh, If you have more than enough money, thanks for being here. If you have more than enough money, we live as though our lives are impenetrable by the problems of this world. We do. We are deceived into thinking that we are safe from pain and suffering. And so what naturally happens is that our only hope is the dollar amount in our bank account because it is the only security we think we actually need. If I were to ask you right now, which person are you? Which category do you fall in? Are you shamed because you have little or are you deceived because you have too much? Nothing more clearly reveals the state of our heart than the view of our money and our material possessions. 
There's nothing that more clearly reveals who I am as a person than how I view and use money and material possessions. And what is alarming, this is what James is getting at, what is alarming is that many people, many people claim to have placed their faith and trust in Jesus alone. They are walking with him. They are worshiping him. But they invalidate that claim through their indulgent, materialistic lifestyle. Which is a clear indication they serve the created God of wealth, not the creator God of the universe. We fall victim to worshiping what God has created rather than worshiping the creator. And it's in these verses that James is addressing a group of people who not only worship money as though it were God, they loved money. They loved their possessions. And they gained all that they had. All they gained all their wealth unjustly, meaning they have lied, they have cheated, they have treated others poorly to earn a profit. And once they had this ill-gotten wealth and profit, they hoarded it as though it will give them the very breath for their lungs and blood for their beating heart. That's who James is writing to. See, the bottom line is this. Those who worship their wealth rely on man-made objects for their very life. Without it, James points to, they'd rather die. Without it, they'd rather die. But James says, not only are these people that he's writing to lovers of money, Worshippers of their wealth, once they acquired their possessions, they hoarded them. They hoarded them, which resulted in a storehouse of rotted riches and moth-eaten garments. Even their gold and silver had corroded, indicating its uselessness. They were so deceived by the wealth that they had. Those who love money would rather hoard their riches, allowing them to rot and rust rather than live with an open hand to those in need. They'd rather see their possessions rot and rust and lose all of its benefit than rather live with an open hand to those in need. Those who love money would rather hoard their wealth, watching it rot and rust rather than use it to serve others, rather to serve it than serve it, than use it to serve others. So the big idea is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We can We can see the result of the love of money in these six verses. These are not very kind words. If I were to receive this letter from James, I would go, wow, man, you definitely did not eat breakfast this morning. Or you didn't drink enough coffee. But it's so much deeper than that. So let's move to the main point then. Here's the main point. Wealth, wealth is not an advantage. Wealth is not an advantage. Wealth is a spiritual handicap. It's a strong word. Wealth is not an advantage. Wealth is a spiritual handicap. Now, this should challenge all of our thinking here today. We should all be challenged here, okay? We all fall into the trap of loving money. I am guilty of this. You are guilty of this. That's why everyone's welcome here and no one's perfect. So you're in the right spot this morning. We can all be honest with each other. And I would argue that so much of our anxiety, so much of our fear, so much of our anger is the result of loving money. In this life, there are many problems in our relationships because of the love of money. James continues, verse 5. That's what he says You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self indulgence. All you who love money, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. 
If you are a lover of money, sacrificing your joy and life for the exchange of a false promise and temporary security. If you are a lover of money, you are sacrificing your joy and life in the exchange of a false promise and temporary security. And if this is you, I need you to understand that there are two sides to the coin that you are carrying around. Your life looks both ways in the same coin, right? There's two things that happen in your life. On one side of the coin, it's stamped with rotten riches. And the other side of the coin, James says, is stamped with wasteful spending. It's like the cul-de-sac you just keep driving around and you can't get out of. You gain a bunch of wealth and you spend it recklessly. And then you have anxiety about not having enough, so you go get some more, then you spend it recklessly. The literal reading of verse 5 would be something like this. You have lived a delicate, soft, pampered life. And add this to the hoarding mentality of someone who loves his possessions. Not good. This message from James describes the both self-indulgent and the wasteful lifestyle of someone who pursues wealth, someone who loves money. Not only do they spend all that they have on the comforts, attempting to shield themselves from the problems of this world, lovers of money also hoard what they have, becoming greedy to the point where they rather their wealth just be destroyed than give it away for someone good to use. So now is the perfect time to see ourselves in this message. Now is the perfect time to figure out where we fit. James wrote to the church. We are the church. This letter is still applicable today. It's going to be applicable 100 years from now until Jesus returns. This word will remain forever, and it is true, and it is for us. So let's remember to see ourselves in this message. All of us deal with this temptation. There are many times throughout our week we are tempted to buy our way out of loneliness or depression. Some of us multiple times a day, we are tempted to buy our way out of loneliness or depression. We think that if we can just keep busy spending money on vacations and experiences that our loneliness that plagues our soul will just sort of vanish. And after we're done, we realize it hasn't worked. We'll keep busy spending money, gathering money, hoping that we won't experience loneliness or depression. This is a powerful warning from James, friends. It's the temptation that we all must deal with. How will we battle temptation when it comes to worshiping our wealth? How will we battle this temptation? James says you got to figure that out, and it doesn't even stop there. This is also a warning, not for just those who battle temptation and who love money. This is also a warning who reject God's grace in pursuit of an indulgent lifestyle. James writes, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. He's telling us that the wealth of our riches becomes a wasting disease in our soul. The wealth of our riches has become a wasting disease in our soul and in our life. And then he ends with this. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James ends with a powerful warning about wealth. By revealing the inevitable result of an unchecked, self-indulgent lifestyle. The verse reveals what happens when we become lovers of money. Think of verse 6 as a a reference to the kind of person, the wealthy, self-indulgent lover of money. Uh, James is referring to the person they have victimized. Did you see it? They actually worked for you and you didn't pay them. You cheated them out of their, their due wages. 
James is referring, the, the murder here in this passage, James is referring to a judicial murder. The taking away of the means the poor would have to make a living. The wealthy have taken away the means of the poor that they have to make a living. Think of the business owner who deals shrewdly with their employees. The poor could not oppose them because they had no way to rely on the system to help them. And because of this, James says, they were helpless. They were helpless. So often it is today in our cold-hearted world. Despite the attempt to protect the poor, the power still largely resides with the wealthy. That's just the way it is. So friends, let's make sure we are distinct from the world. Is that right? Let's make sure that this never happens in the church. Let the world have what they have. May the church never operate like this, where money is actually a deciding factor to who you are and what you have access to. May this never be true in the church. If God has blessed you with material wealth, use the blessing in the way it was designed to be used. Whether God has blessed you with little or blessed you with a lot, notice they're both blessings. (laughs) Whether he has blessed you with very little or with a whole lot, use what you have in the way it was designed to be used by advancing the kingdom of God. And you can do that by loving your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. And by giving your life and all of your possessions to the noble and just cause of seeking and saving the lost. The only reason this church exists is because Jesus said he was going to seek and save the lost. The only reason City Gate was started is because Jesus said he would build his church. And he was going to go find people that were his children. And he was going to save them. And he was going to love them. And he was going to make them new. And no one had to earn it. They just had to respond with faith and trust in the gospel. That's why we started this church. It was not to pad our bank account. It was not to make our name famous. It was to use what we have collectively to go seek and save those who are lost. Isn't that right? That's what we're here for. So whether you've been blessed with a little or blessed with a lot, that is what you use your wealth and possessions for, seeking and saving the lost. It's a good warning here. Self-indulgence, church, self-indulgence wins no favor with God. Self-indulgence, using your wealth and possessions for your own benefit alone, wins no favor with God. Certainly there are times of great celebrations, right? I like parties. There are times to feast and to spend loads of money on a meal you'll never afford, maybe but once a year. I like those times. I like that. 50 bucks a plate, let's do it. It better be like a golden piece of beef or something. There are times of celebration. There are times to spend. Remember, money isn't evil. We use it in evil ways. It's just a tool. There are times of celebrations. There are times to feast. There are times to spend. Go ahead and spend. But do not be fooled. You cannot serve both your money and your God at the same time. Because you will hate one and you will love the other at all times. You can't cut it down the middle and say, I'm going to worship my money. I'm going to worship my God. It doesn't work. You will love one and you will hate the other. And because I know myself and I think you're like me, I'm hoping that's why you're here, is that we will always default to loving the wrong thing. We'll default to loving our money. James says, be be weary of that. Be careful because if you love money, you may turn into the people that we just read about in these six verses. We move through this life consumed by our wealth and our money, never investing in the kingdom of God, never using our resources to go seek and save the lost. 
It is evidence. It is evidence that we are pursuing money more than we are pursuing people. If you work through this life, never investing in the kingdom of God, never investing in the work that is done to seek and save those who are living under the judgment of God right now. Right now, they're living under the judgment of God. And if you're not using what God has blessed you in order to go pursue those people and love those people so that they would receive the grace that only comes through Jesus Christ, it is clear, it is a clear indication of where your heart is. That's the warning James has for us. It is evidence that we are pursuing money more than we are pursuing people. Church, what's more valuable, people or possessions? People. Always. And there always will be. And that will never change. doesn't matter how shiny that rock is in the ground. It does not matter. People are always more valuable and precious and worthy than material possessions. So what do we do with this then? James just like made us feel really bad, okay? So what do we do now? Well, let's go to the, some application. I'm going to have three questions for you to consider. They're not, really, they're not really necessarily things that you do. They're things to ask yourself, okay? I'm going to read them. Number one, do I, so here's what, we, here's what we want to do. We want to figure out if we are lovers of money. And that's the application here. Have I worshipped my possessions? Am I sacrificing my relationships in my own moral compass, in my own life, so I can gain more possessions? That's what we're asking ourselves. Do I love money more than God? Here's number one. Answer this question. Do I, f you don't have to answer it out loud. Okay. Um, I mean, you can. We all love you. We're here for you. Okay. Do I find security in the number of zeros in my bank account? That's the first question. Now, certainly there are times when it gets really low and there's like no zeros. We're like, okay, something's got to give, right? There are times. Listen, we're never going to not worry about the money we have. It's how we eat. It's how we drive. It's how we get to work. It's how we raise our children. It's how, you know, money is a tool to be used. And certainly there is always some anxiety around it. But is your ultimate security, like is your happiness and your joy connected to the number of zeros in your bank account? When a few of those zeros drop off, do you become like a raging weirdo? Right? You're just a totally different person. That means you're finding your security in your bank account. Number two, has the love of money caused me to hate God and others? Now, for this one, let's say you're sitting here right now and you, you know, I, I, I think I struggle with this. I'm always thinking about money. I'm always worried about money. I'm always worried about what I'm not buying and what I have. And I'm always like looking out in the world and going, that's a nice car. That's a nice car. Mine's always 24 years old, right? That's a nice car. I do the same thing. 1997 Chevy pickup. If anybody wants a car to get rid of, I need something newer, okay? I love it, actually. Because you can, like, drive them like you don't care. <laughs> Some of you are nice cars. You're like, ah, you got to be careful. Okay. But has the love of money caused me to hate God and others? Here's the deal. If you pursue money, you will, maybe without even realizing it, you will be pushing others away. Because your love of money, if you love money, it will dictate who you associate with and who you don't associate with. There are people with very little money who look like they don't have little money. You wouldn't be caught dead talking to them or even standing around them because of the numbers of zeros in their bank account. It's a struggle. This is a struggle. And we all struggle with it. Has the love of money caused me to hate God and hate others? When you don't have enough money, you end up hating God because he hasn't given you what you were supposed to get because you've been obeying everything. You show up to church every week. Why don't I have another couple of zeros in my bank account? God, right? 
This is what happens. Number three, do you need to seek forgiveness? Do you need to ask forgiveness from those who have hurt, who you have hurt because you're, you value wealth more than them? Are there relationships in your past that you need to go to or relationships right now that you need to say, I'm the one always bringing up the money issue and I'm mean to you about it. Are there people in the past that you've dealt wrongly with in order to make a buck or to keep some of your money? Is there somebody who needed your support and you shunned them and then you justified it to yourself because you just couldn't manage letting go of something? Those are the people I would say you need to seek forgiveness from. Church, all of your life is one of seeking forgiveness from God. All the Christian life is one of what we call repentance. All of life is turning away from our sinful desires and pursuing Jesus with a deeper passion. That's all of life. So if, you feel, if you're like, you know, every day I've got to ask for forgiveness from God. I'm a really bad Christian. No, you're a good one, okay? You're like hitting the mark, all right? Every day we have to seek repentance. We have to seek forgiveness from God. We have to turn towards him and leave the desires of our flesh behind. So keep doing that. And those are the three questions. So write those down. If you are really brave, you'll ask someone you live with. Just see what they say. And when they respond, don't get mad and justify why they're wrong, okay? I'm the king of that. I'm really good at it. Usually tell people, if you want to know about me, I'll tell you anything you want to know. If you want to really know about me, ask my wife. <laughs> she'll, she'll always tell you the truth. But seriously, ask a close friend. Because church, if you let this go unchecked, it will be a wasting disease for your soul. It will. And listen, when you worship money as a god, let me tell you, money doesn't talk back. Money won't get you out of the pit when you've had a bad life, right? When you've sinned, money doesn't go up on a cross and sacrifice itself for you, does it? No, it only demands more of you. It's a material. It's a creative thing. Never meant to be a God. My prayers this week have been that God would, I've been asking God that he would transform us into a church who will reject, continually reject the temptation to love money and then embrace what it means to live in freedom. Because listen, some of you experienced this. Some of you are like, listen, I used to be crazy, like fanatic about my bank account and about all this stuff. And when I finally let God have control of all that and I was just faithful in my work and faithful in my giving and faithful in my, my open-handedness towards others, man, I experienced freedom. Some of you experience that. It's a beautiful thing. I've been praying that God will transform us. He'll create us into a people who routinely reject the temptation to love money so we can embrace what it means to live in freedom. And only when we're free can we get busy seeking and saving the lost. That's how it works. It's easy to fall into this temptation. It is easy to fall into this temptation when it comes to money. In fact, we may do it every week. Every day you may have to battle the temptation to value money over people. Every day you may have to battle this. And it's easy to fall into this temptation and we're routinely um, bombarded with the temptation because we were all created to worship. We were all created to do what we just did today as a church through the singing, through this teaching, through our giving, through our communion, through our prayer. We were all created to do that. Every person who has ever lived on this planet was created for worship. That's how God designed us. We were created for worship. We were all created to give our lives to someone. But let me tell you, church, that someone isn't money. That's not it. You will be, 
you will be disappointed if you routinely give yourself to money. That someone is not money. That someone is Jesus. That's who it's all about here at our church. Everything we do is focused on that person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so now we have to move into this heart issue as we close up, as I wind down here. And Kenny always knows I got 12 more minutes when I say that. Now we move into the heart issue because Jesus is the, the only one who is worthy of our worship. That's it. He is the only person who has ever lived who will be worthy enough for people to stand up on a Sunday morning and sing to him and cry out to him and pray to him and give to the kingdom through him. He's the only one who is worthy of it all. Jesus and Jesus alone is worth all of it, people. Because he is the son of God who has come down to earth as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. He was tempted in every way we are. We do not have a God who does not understand what it's like to be us. He was tempted in every single way that you have been tempted in your life, yet he never sinned. He was tempted to love money, yet he did not sin. And then he was murdered by men who valued the things of this world and their possessions more than they valued the relationship with God. That's who killed him. But the story didn't end there. The Bible says, through the sins of Adam came death. Through that first sin, of Adam and Eve rejecting God's goodness and attempting to be gods themselves, that's when sin entered the world. That's when the love of money started to take over. That's when the temptation to reject God and embrace material possessions happened, right then and there. Through the sins of Adam came death. By a man named Jesus, though, has come the resurrection of the dead. For although we were dead in Adam, we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? For as in Adam, everyone will die. But so in Jesus, everyone will be made alive. Friends, only through a relationship with Jesus will you truly live. It is only through a trusting, believing relationship with Jesus that you can be freed from the power to pursue money and wealth and possessions. That is the only way to battle the temptation that you feel every day to love money. Isn't that funny? We love money, then it lets us down, then what do we do? We go right back to it. We do. Which is only another indicator that we will never be good within ourselves to reach out to God. He has to come reach out to us. Jesus was raised from the dead so that we may come alive. So that we may live fully alive. Church, I want you to know that all the gold and the silver in the world will not save you from the wrath of God. You can keep hoarding it all you want. It makes no difference. It'll all be burned up on the last day. It is only the righteousness, only the goodness, only the perfect person of Jesus. That is the only thing that can save you from the wrath of God to come. That's it. The only thing that will ever and has ever forgiven people of their sins is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that will never change as long as we live, as long as our kids live and their grandkids live until Jesus comes back. It's always been the one thing. It always will be the one thing. The forgiveness of sins is found at the cross. I want you to know that leaving here thinking that you can just get better with your money is not the answer. Maybe you go, good, that was good. Now I can go, I can get better with my money. It's not what I want you to do. I want you to destroy the temptation to love money. I want you to. Don't think you need to leave here and saying, if I just do better with my money, God will look down on me with some sort of favor that I have yet to experience. That's not going to be true. 
God looks down on favor with those who have given their lives for Jesus and who have not given their lives for their sins. I want you to know that Jesus did not come to make bad people good.